Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast explores a wide variety of issues about university life relevant to staff and students looking at issues in South Africa, Africa and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular subject. And we also bring in student voices linked to that theme. My name is Nosipom Gomezulu. And my name is Mahita Ikani. And we're your hosts. My name is Alan, Alan Paddy. Well, I used to work at uh, Damelin in Bramfontein. Um, for me, I think the whole thing of using bicycles, it will work. Um, why am I saying that? Because I remember while I was still there, uh, we used to have problems with parking. And as well, traveling from um, Soweto to town, already at about 7, it's congested. So I'm sure using bicycles will be a big solution. And again, health-wise, it's an advantage. Is your campus congested with cars and buses? Is it impossible to find parking? What are solutions to the increasingly motorized characteristics of the South African University? More parking? More cars? Or is there another paradigm entirely that we can use to think about decongestion, health and wellness, and the environmental aspects of university campuses? In today's episode, we explore a topic that I'm personally very interested in, the potential of cycling for transport, and how commuter cycling might help to change not only our campuses, but also our cities. Today, we talk bicycles and transport and we think about what role these might play in university life. Our guest is Dr. Jogu Morgan, who is currently a postdoctoral researcher based at the South African Research Chair in Spatial Analysis and City Planning at Wits University. He is working on a project called the Life in the City Project, which seeks to develop a holistic and multidisciplinary body of work to create the conditions for a city that is inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. His postdoctoral research examines social networks and bicycling, but his PhD thesis explores a historical account of utility cycling in Johannesburg in comparison with other cities across the world. His PhD thesis was partly funded by the research chair in spatial analysis and city planning, um, as well as the A.W. Mellon Foundation Chair of Critical Architecture and Urbanism, and his study examined changes in how place shapes the symbolic status of everyday bicycling from a historical comparative perspective. Jogu is also a board member of the Johannesburg Urban Cyclists Association. Warm welcome to Jogu Morgan, who is joining us today to talk about mobility, transport, and universities. So warm welcome to you, Jogu. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Mahita. So you've just finished writing a PhD about cycling cultures and cities. Yeah. Would you be willing to talk us through what some of your main findings or approaches were in that study? I was interested in exploring changes in the symbolic meanings and practices around uh, utility cycling and specifically how uh, different places influence the formation of particular meanings and that how that changes over time. 
the study was a, was comparative. I looked at Johannesburg in conversation with Amsterdam, Chicago, Beijing, comparative sites that I looked at. Can you just explain to listeners who maybe aren't sure what you mean by utility cycling? Okay. Some people, when they hear the word cycling, they think of white dudes in lycra speeding past them as they quietly walk down a sidewalk. So how is utility cycling different to yeah. that? Sometimes we don't make enough of a distinction between the different forms of, of cycling uh, because uh, following scholars in social practice theory, they have a very interesting three-dimensional way of looking at practices so, uh, in which the one component is the, the materials that are utilized for the particular practice, so the bicycle, the infrastructures, and so on, the kind of significance that goes to the particular practice, so the rationale. So in this case, people would choose to bicycle for exercise or for pleasure and so on. And then finally, the competences, uh, so the skills associated with a particular practice. Uh, look at, if you analyze uh, the different forms of cycling, use that kind of lens, you see it's very different. Um, so, yeah, so I was interested in looking at, at utility cycling, and I suppose the background of the interest was, um, you might be aware, there's been this sort of global interest in um, the use of bicycles for transportation in cities in the face of congestion, pollution, uh, and so on. Can you say a little more about that? So, um, it's very interesting to think about cycling through the lens of social practice theory. That's yeah, cool. It's like, yeah. okay, so cycling is not just something people do for fun. It also has a, like a, a utility in their yeah, lives. Yeah. Um, but you also say there's been a rise in interest from, from who? From, from governments, from city managers, um, about the possibilities of, of cycling for cities in terms of improving or getting rid of congestion. Could you tell us more about that kind of move globally and and why you think, where it's come from, what's inspired it. It's very interesting. Uh, globally, everywhere, it seems like the bicycle is back, as it once was in the late 19th century, everywhere. And I think part of the interest in, in bicycling really has arisen partly because of everywhere there's been a realization of the limits of uh, dependency on automobility. Um, so city managers, as you say, governments are looking at alternative solutions. Uh, they're looking at solutions to address traffic congestion, there's air pollution. You might know, you know, Beijing, for instance, has one of the worst air quality problems. Johannesburg is not unique in this instance. There's also, you know, been other uh, public health problems, so obesity rising everywhere. Uh, so there have been a whole range of uh, problems that are cropping up in cities and uh, people are looking around for alternatives. And the bicycle is seen as one way of addressing that in Johannesburg. And in South Africa, in fact, there's been, uh, from the city manager's side, an awareness that bicycling as an industry could be one way of solving unemployment problems that South Africa faces and job creation because the types of jobs that would be involved in bicycling are not very high-skilled. Mm. So they could address the needs of the working class, mm. um, people who don't have high skills. So there's been all global awareness of this place yeah. that the bicycle could be an answer to a whole range of different uh, mm. problems. There. So f full disclosure, both Jogu and I are quite keen commuter cyclists. Mm. So we both tend to cycle a lot around Johannesburg. In fact, we met, didn't we, through cycling? Yes, we, we, we met at one of those, those night bike rides that were cool for a while. So you cycle all over Johannesburg. Yes. Yeah, that's your bicycle is your main form of transport. Yeah, it is. I try to use it, especially during the week, I to commute to school, mm. uh, to the university where I work. 
and yeah. study. Yeah. So yesterday I was I was feeling a bit lazy and I had to do a bit of grocery shopping after work and my partner didn't need the car. So I thought, okay, let me just take the car today instead of cycle. I drove um, a block and a half and hit gridlock, turned around, drove the car back, got <laughs> on my bicycle and cycled to work. <laughs> uh, I think we probably had a similar experience because yesterday I was dropping off our youngest at school when we were on the bicycle and sometimes depending on Johannesburg it doesn't have many bicycle lanes so sometimes I resort to back routes and sidewalks. So you drop the kids off on the bike? Yes. Okay so tell us more about for someone who's listening who has never even conceptualized dropping their child off at school with a bicycle. Can you just talk them through the like practicalities of how it works? Where do you put the child? Where do you put their school bag? Um, my bicycle has a child carry on the back, and so she sits on it, then would drape her school bag, which has a snack, spare set of clothes on the handlebar. So I'm looking for another solution. I'm looking to put a, a basket in the front so it will be easier. Uh, but... Yeah, that's all it takes. Okay. And you hop on and so it's go. like a little wagon that you hook on, or is it like one of those little seats? It's a seat. Okay. Yeah, I in the past I've I've attached a trailer onto the bicycle. I but, remember your trailer. Just a little red flag there. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so in the trailer, I can put my bag, my computer, and our accessories in there. And so that's. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it get it's a bit heavy, so I. I leave it at home. Okay. Yeah. So a little seat on the back, a little backpack on the handlebars, off you go. And then, so you were talking about back routes. I sometimes use a back route. Sometimes I use sidewalks depending on the particular section of the road. If I'm afraid of, if I'm nervous of the speed at which cars are traveling. In any case, yesterday morning, on one particular road that I often use, there was severe traffic congestion, car congestion, traffic jam. Um, the cars, I think, were traveling at two kilometers an hour or so. <laughs> you were flying hard on your bicycle. <laughs> so I saw this was a pop-up bicycle lane. So I got off the sidewalk and I rode next to the cars and we zoomed past them and got to our school very happily. Uh, way beyond, way in front of those other cars. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So actually the reason that I, I asked you to come onto the podcast was not just so that you and I could chat about how much we love cycling rather than driving places but actually to get your insights into what universities can and should be doing progressively in relation to transport and mobility we've talked a bit about the city right yeah. and i'm sure listeners might have other questions about cycling in cities like like johannesburg and sure. perhaps we can come back to those a little later but considering that most people who listen to this podcast are staff and students mm. of, of universities who are somehow linked into a kind of academic community what kinds of big questions about transport and mobility do you think we should be asking our university managers? Or, or maybe what's wrong? What's wrong from your perspective with how, how our campuses are designed transport-wise? Yeah. yeah. I suppose the one thing to say is the universities are embedded in particular societies, embedded in place. And part of what's going on is in relation to how universities respond to transportation is a reflection of the context in which they find themselves in. So you will find in Johannesburg, or the universities in Johannesburg, probably I would say, given the extent to which for a period of a, about 80 years, Johannesburg has been gradually and built for, for the car, uh, it's not surprising to imagine that the university managers and so on, students and academics, um, would have been sort of accustomed to using cars. Um, in other contexts, you probably have a, a different scenario. So universities are designed for cars. 
Yeah. Or, or at the campuses we know in South Africa absolutely. are designed for cars. Yeah, absolutely. So what does that mean culture-wise? Because, you know, you're an expert on transport cultures. So yeah. What does the car centrism of the university campus kind of do mm-hmm. to the culture of that campus? I think one of the more helpful ways I find of thinking through these issues is through insights by scholars in transition studies, um, we think about the way in which we, the way in which society functions, whether it's transportation, whether it's, whether it's food, whether it's anything else that you can think of as uh, socio-technical systems, which are comprised of an array of different elements. Um, so that includes the technology, it includes, uh, as I said, the symbolic meanings or their significance, includes the infrastructures that go with it, it includes their habits, it includes uh, particular dispositions. Um, one of my favorite sort of conceptions around thinking about how people use uh, different technologies or use cars is uh, come across this concept called uh, a car son. So it's thinking of the, relation, the relationship between an individual and the car um, and the way in which that transforms subjectivities. Um, so the way in which well, once you get behind car, uh, the person that you are uh, transforms the way in which you see the world, the way in which you see others. So anyway, just to say that social technical system is uh, an assembly of different elements. And so when you ask, can I pause you for a yeah. sec? So when so is the 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 concept of the carson is yeah. that when a person gets into a car, they stop being a person and they become a carson. Yes. In that, so they 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 identify more closely with the machine that they're a part of than. The world outside of that machine, or am I getting too sci-fi? So too sci-fi. In fact, some scholars talk about cyborgs. We okay. Use those kinds of technical terms to think about the way in which almost like your body fuses with the mm. machine that you are in, mm. um, and it it sort of shapes how you, as I said, how you how you look at others who are not in the car, and how you mm. behave in relation to others. So, for instance, if you can imagine yourself walking on a sidewalk or a pavement, it would not be it would be quite strange to imagine yourself randomly bumping into other people or knocking knocking against them mm. that's a kind of conduct that does not happen usually sometimes mm. it does um, but you it's not abnormal to find people behaving that way once they get into the into the machines mm. once once they get into the car and so there's something interesting that really happens once you when someone becomes habituated uh, to using that particular car so this is one of the i would say this is one of the challenges that uh, we're facing in within the university environment, but also much more broadly in a space in which has grown up with a car for about 80 years. So our campuses are designed to accommodate cars. When humans get into cars, they change. Their attitudes to the the society seems to shift. I mean, if I think about the campus that I live and work on, it's mainly people on foot walking between classes back and forth. And then there are these giant parking lots in kind of various corners. And there are are these roads that, you know, kind of Mm. traverse Mm. campus, which are either usually filled with cars or buses. And like maybe people become slightly better drivers once they enter campus, but mostly they still have that kind of Carson attitude. And it doesn't feel like there's space for other ways of getting around. I mean, what are your thoughts on whether, should should our campuses be less car-centric? And if so, how could we get there? There's a whole range of very significant uh, challenges that city managers everywhere universities are responding to. Uh, and they're realizing the bicycle is one of the uh, solutions. As you say, I mean, there's a very small proportion of um, I would imagine, I haven't seen the statistics on our university, but I would imagine that there's a very small proportion of people 
on campus who actually probably own or have access to a car. And so there's a, fundamentally there's a social justice issue at stake. What we're actually talking about, uh, one way of thinking about is we're talking about uh, systems of power and, 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 and authority. So what we could say is that uh, there's probably a minority of the student population, a minority of the academic population in terms of transportation that is dominating the rest of the, mm-hmm. of the body. Um, and so we need to interrogate that and we need to look at, we need to ask how is it that, you know, we need to interrogate the, um, how is it the students are moving around on campus? How is it that uh, staff are getting around campus and then uh, seeking to address that? So those with cars who are in the minority mm-hmm. are kind of determining yeah. the shape of the space that we all share. Yeah. And there's something fundamentally unfair about that. Yeah. So is the solution for everyone to get a car? I mean, sometimes I think, you know, I see my students aspiring to, they want to buy a car. Like sure. to buy a car is the thing that they aim for. Yeah. In a society like South Africa, and I don't think it's only South Africa. I think yeah. it's also China. I think it's also Brazil and most of the global South. Having a better life means having more things. And one of those things that people aspire to have is a car. Yeah. How, how does that culture shift? Yeah. Can that culture shift? One way of thinking about it is this is, depends on their particular demographics that we're thinking about. Um, It is true that there are population groups on campus, in Johannesburg, in other cities and elsewhere, who are very aspirational and would like to own a car as soon as they they choose to because it it positions them in society in a much better way that they would like to be seen. However, I know in Johannesburg there is... There are some organizations, uh, some grassroots organizations that actually seeking to reposition the way in which the Vasco is seen. And partly they are doing this from a position of aesthetics. Um, So they seem to be looking at particular forms of bicycles that are very attractive and beautiful and think. And I suppose their theoretical framework is that the aesthetics of bicycles will be appealing and attractive to a kind of student body, a person who's interested in aspiration, or someone who wants to communicate uh, social status. We have to see what the outcome of that will be. But I think fundamentally, I think, which is something actually that I argue in my thesis, in the long haul, uh, I think it would be important to address uh, social inequality because people aspire because that's the nature of the society in which they live in. And I think you're making some really good points about you know aspiration and status and um, aesthetics. You know, because people are, and there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting beautiful things. Yeah. And many cars are beautiful objects, but they have these side effects, these kind of social side effects, quite damaging, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, you know, and I'm, of course I'm preaching to the converted here, <laughs> like a bicycle is also a beautiful object. doesn't have negative social side effects. actually has positive social side effects. No, it's interesting you said that because, as you've seen, the bicycle that I bought, it's been interesting. I haven't... We have it. to describe it because this is a, a, a non-visual format. So we have a very beautiful bicycle parked... Just a, a few meters away. The brand name is called the Warp Cycle, so it's produced in the Netherlands. It's supposed to be a very practical, utilitarian mm-hmm. bike for getting around. But it's also good looking. Yeah, it's also good looking. Mm. Uh, it's got like nice sit-up handlebars, yeah. comfortable. Yeah, so when you, when you, so the posture when you sit is very upright, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be comfortable, so mm-hmm. you're not hunching forward and tired um, as you commute. Um, but also some of the components of the bicycle are integrated, uh, so the chain is enclosed, uh, the brakes are also don't get all in your trousers. Uh, the brakes 
it's almost like a it's a drum break, mm-hmm. yeah? so it will last longer. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a bike that uh, is easy to maintain. So it's not about racing; it's about slowly, steadily, slowly, steadily making your way, boringly <laughs> <laughs> getting to where you getting to where you need to go. Yeah. Um, but the reason I thought about it is because I'm, it's been a replacement of an older bike, which was probably about twenty or thirty years old, and it's been very interesting for me to just reflect on how the public in Johannesburg has been responding to the two machines. Uh, so the other one, as I said, is much older, pretty beat up, bits and pieces were falling apart. Not very good looking, but I was very happy with it. Mm-hmm. But I was looking for something that was more comfortable in terms of commuting mm-hmm. and so on, and a bike that I would keep for the rest of my life, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be this machine, but it also, as you say, it's, it looks good. So I think, as you say, aesthetics mm-hmm. are important. And it could be one of the ways in which... Uh, we begin to address the status, uh, the mm. status issue. If people are really concerned about how appearing and so on, so it could be that in Johannesburg or university campuses, we need to introduce more beautiful bicycles. What other obstacles might discourage students from considering cycling as an option? Because some of them live literally like two or three or four kilometers away mm. from mm. their campus in halls of residence or kind of other kinds of accommodation. Yeah. Yet they don't think that cycling is an option for them. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, as I said, I think it's part of this sort of long history of the absence of bicycles in, in everyday life. And I think it's important to say that there have been a lot of studies that show that actually visibility is very important in shaping public perceptions. So the very absence of a thing makes it so weird that people don't even think about the use of a bicycle as, as an option, uh, just because culturally that's how they've been socialized and so on. So... That's one obstacle <laughs> that needs to be addressed, mm. and part of, part of this part of that I think is would be about creating particular spaces or sites the city that would be a proof of concept, uh, particular places in which people could go and see could go and see a cycling culture in action, could go and see more of you on campus on bicycles, could really begin to change the conversation and. And I think one way in which we could possibly do that is, as you're aware, there is some bicycle lanes that have been built in the city in particular spaces. Um, ideally, those would provide you know, safe, comfortable ways of commuting between, say, the university corridor. So those could be a particular site in which this kind of experiment could be done in terms of growing a bicycling commuting culture. And as I said at the beginning, uh, we have to think about cycling more systemically. So beyond the actual technology, beyond the infrastructure, just to think about all the different elements that have to be built for the creation of this experiment that I'm talking about. One of the unfortunate ways in which the previous administration, which was a huge proponent of commuting cycling, went about this agenda was they seemed to focus on one element of bicycle commuting, which was infrastructure, which is an important way of addressing safety. But there's not sufficient focus on building all the other components of, of a bicycle commuting uh, Social technical system. Uh, so, for instance, surveys have shown within the university campus, we're talking about universities, you'd be shocked about the ownership of bicycles. Uh, one study has shown that within the central business district area and around between the University of Johannesburg and Witz, up to 90% of households do not have a bicycle at home. So, you have built, in some cases, like really nice infrastructure in West Dean, um, but there are no bicycles for people to use. And then, if we turn to the issue we've been talking about, the aspiration or the kind of associations of what it is to use a bicycle for, 
commuting, spoke about how for some populations, bicycling is seen as something for children or for the working class, for the poor, it's not. So the kind of meanings associated with utility cycling are not very good. And it's not really clear to me that there was a concerted effort to change that or to mm. produce new ways of mm. looking at bicycle. What have universities been doing to try and promote mm. this kind of shift in culture? Because we're meant to be on the leading edge, aren't we, of um, social progress? Indeed, we're supposed to be. And it, it's really interesting because if you look elsewhere, as you might be aware, actually uh, in, across, even in South Africa, in Stellenbosch, in Cape Town, you know, different universities, uh, you find actually universities being one of the sites in which bicycle commuting is actually growing. And that happens because university managers are investing in uh, bicycle infrastructure, so parking facilities. Uh, they are... If you look at Cambridge, for instance, you may be aware, this it might be a controversial thing to say, but very strict, if I remember correctly, rules on, essentially, as a, if I remember correctly, as a first-year student, you're not allowed to bring a car on campus. Mm. So that immediately forces people to consider use of other forms of transportation, including walking, bicycling, and in public transport. And so it's really about university managers have a lot of power in shaping the spaces uh, in which uh, academics and, and students are working. So, I mean, there's the beauty of what you're talking about is it's not rocket science. What can be done, it's fairly strict. Helps students get bicycles. Uh, in fact, I was aware last year there was an intention by the University of Johannesburg to, to launch their own bicycle sharing system within campus. So the idea was that students were commuting from the one campus instead of using the buses and so on, which obviously infrequent mm. uh, and may break down. There was an idea that they wanted to introduce a bicycle sharing system. So that could be one way in which uh, university managers are responding to mm. this. Uh, they don't obviously have to do it out of their own resources. They could partner with um, other entrepreneurs who could bring in such a system mm. on campus. So there's a whole range of very simple solutions mm. that university managers could mm. could undertake on their own without mm. having to rely on uh, the city itself to mm. solve these problems. Um, again, uh, talking about the University of Johannesburg, they have currently a very interesting program where we've been talking about how we have a long history of automobility. Mm. And part of it is actually some students on their campus do not know how to learn, do not know how to ride bicycles. Mm. So they've introduced a scheme in which you can come and learn how to ride bicycles. But on the other hand, on the other side of it, some students may have ridden bicycles, but when they were 10 or 9 years old, and as you're aware, it's a totally different experience riding a bicycle in a city where you're having to contend with traffic. So they have classes to increase the confidence of students in traffic. So there's a whole range of very simple solutions that city managers can, or university managers can undertake, including teaching. That's really impressive. I'm yeah. really impressed with UJ having gotten that program together. Yeah. Um, at FITS, I think we've been suggesting it for ages, but there's been no real kind of take up from the institution. Sadly, because I think there's just huge potential for just creating a happier, healthier yeah. space. Quieter place. We Quieter. Haven't, we haven't spoken about this. Yes, <laughs> noise pollution. Noise pollution. Yeah. Um, I can never forget during my PhD studies visiting Copenhagen and in the middle of the day sort of moving around and just how quiet the city is and especially in the evening. And I was just wondering what was going on. I realized there are not so many, so many cars in the city. Wow. Um, and it just really sort of transforms the experience of the space in which you're mm. in. So imagine you're arriving on campus and it's still 
surely that would help. Mm, it's not like buses idling and yeah. cars revving. Yeah. Surely that would help the scholarly environment. Absolutely. Maybe it'll up the pass rate. And there have been also very interesting studies that look at, since we're on this, the relationship between learning and preparedness mm. and mm. how is it that people are traveling. Mm. Uh, so there are studies that have shown that people who are walking, let's say or using on active transportation, actually have better outcomes in terms of their retention of knowledge. So when you say active transportation, what do, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I say when I mean active transportation, I'm talking about uh, people who are using their... <laughs> maybe people who are walking or cycling. Okay. Uh, uh, so they're, they're not sedentary, perhaps driving or... Sitting on a bus. Or sitting on a bus mm. or sitting on a train. Uh, so the way in which being active before you get into class, that seems to do something to your mind and it wakes you up. So once you get to class, so that could be um, certainly a benefit for for universities. So there's a there's a kind of proven correlation yes. between those two that's been scientifically yeah published on yeah. There's a huge li- literature mm-hmm. on this uh, mm-hmm. that shows um, as I said, yeah, there's a relationship between mm-hmm. the use of active transportation mm-hmm. and knowledge retention mm-hmm. and so on. And then we can talk about the amazing. The range of different studies that I've shown. So we're talking about knowledge here, but a lot of studies that show the the health benefits mm. of using. So, if, for instance, I think two weeks ago there was a study that came out that looked at uh, it was a study of uh, commuting in the UK, uh, and they looked at active transportation, which is non-active transportation, walking, cycling, and so on. Mm-hmm. And the results were clear. They showed that if you're cycling to work or to school or to wherever that you may be going, then you, there, you reduce the risk, I think it's cancer and other lifestyle diseases by 50%. Wow. I mean, that's huge. That's huge. And what about the effects on, on mood or just like general kind of... So the health aspects I, you know, I hear and I think the science is there to prove it. But I mean, I have this like silly, maybe it's not a silly idea, but sometimes like because my ride to work is downhill. So yeah. I have a really like fun way of getting to work. I basically just free will down the hill. Yeah. And then I have a short little hill to get up and then I'm there. And it, it literally makes me happy. I can wake up grumpy and I can be in a bad mood and be like, oh, I've got all this stuff to do today. How am I going to get through my day? Yeah. And then I hop on my bike and by the time I get to work, I'm feeling a little happier. Yeah. I mean, is there, are there any studies that have proven a correlation between active transportation and just general ability to smile? <laughs> <laughs> Bicycling make you happier. Yeah. No, there has been. Uh, there's a different stream of, of research, let's say the mobility literature that looks about the experience of movement mm. and how that shapes people's interests, but also, you say, how it might affect your mood and so on. Mm. Perhaps this is one dimension that, putting on another hat, as a, an advocate of cycling, we don't talk enough about, mm. about how pleasant actually the experience can be. I suppose it's difficult to say that or for people in a context like this where there aren't so many bicycling to believe us that's when we say that actually you feel good when mm. you're on a bicycle, but mm. science is there, the literature is there mm. that supports this. And it also makes it just easier to like interact with other people on the street, like greet the neighbors, you know, like sure you might like wave yeah. if you're in a car to your neighbor, if you see them leaving the house at the same time, but you're less likely to just stop and say, hello, how are you? I'm well, you know, have a little interaction. Yeah. You know, like when I'm on my bike, I'll, I'll, I'll say hi to the kids I ride past. I would never do that if I was in a car. I'll greet the recycling guys who are in the same lane and we'll, you know, and then they'll 
we'll recognize each other next time. So there's all these like little social interactions that yeah. also happen, yeah. which just makes life just feel more like life and less like I'm in a bubble going from work mm. to home and not connecting with anything in between. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting other dimension that uh, scholars have actually been looking at, uh, the way in which how, how cycling can contribute to social cohesion from our own experiences, mm. that the way in which how we interact with people changes. We spoke about the di- different subjectivities that come about as, as a result of the fusion of the body mm. and the machine, mm. um, the way in which cars are designed and you enclose in this bubble, as you mm. call it, whereas bike doesn't have a shell. Mm. So you're exposed to the elements, you're mm. exposed to the trees, you're exposed to people that you will be seeing as you commute. And so this really changes, transforms mm. your experience of and I would support you. I, mean, I, I feel like I have a whole set of friends during my daily commute that I expect to see and we interact. In my coon, yeah, the bicycle could contribute in Johannesburg in addressing uh, the sort of boundaries that have been created between mm-hmm. people. And also on university down. campuses. I and mean, you know, there are, there are those, the students who stay in res and who walk yeah. all over campus and there are students who drive in and drive out. Yeah. And I sometimes feel like there are ships passing in the night. You know, they're, they have quite different cultures and ways of interacting yeah which i mean we've seen all of the kind of disruptions and challenges that campuses have faced in the past couple of years sometimes clashes between students it'd be interesting to to kind of look at how what different kinds of transports each of those groups tend to use Mm -hmm. um, and how that may feed into some of the bigger kind of social Mm. yeah i think uh look obviously we don't want to overstate the how the role of the bicycle in solving all the different social challenges <laughs> that confront universities. But I, I think it could, could contribute to that. And mm. I think it, you know, many people have said, you know, the bicycle is a democratic tool. Mm. It's democratic because it's, you know, cheaper. Mm. Um, so it's more accessible to a wider population. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, going back to the metaphor of this, the way in which the fusion of technology and humans transforms people, um, and I, th- I think if more people on campus were on bicycles, it might create a feeling of openness, a feeling of willingness to mm. interact with each other, greater social cohesion. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Aside from the bicycle, which we're obviously both marginally obsessed with, what other kinds of more public, I guess, transport options do you think universities should be encouraging or pushing for? Because, I mean, there's just so much emphasis on parking yeah. and the private car. Yeah. Are there other things that the that university should also be thinking about in terms of accessibility and mobility aside from the bicycle? I think uh, already universities do provide uh, buses mm-hmm. for students. Um, you perhaps could make an argument that, sorry, returning the conversation again to bicycles, mm-hmm. it might be cheaper in some instances for universities to instead of running these huge machines, mm. uh, maybe to allocate some of those resources um, towards bicycle instruction much cheaper to maintain and so mm. on. Um, especially, as you say, uh, students are often not really commuting long distances. Mm. We do have some safe bicycle infrastructure that mm. is popping up. Uh, so there could be a reallocation. There could be a case made for reallocation investments towards mm. 
bicycling. People often complain that, well, we spoke about the hilliness of Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing to say that the university managers could not perhaps invest in a fleet of electric bicycles that assist students if they're traveling hilly instances mm-hmm. and so on. Cool. I mean, I think we've covered a lot of ground in yeah. thinking about transport cultures at universities. I think there's a long way to go. I think a lot of our university management is stuck in quite a car-centric mm-hmm. way of thinking. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, let's not be optimistic. I think... You're right, there is a long way to go on our campuses, but we have found, you know, you know, there's evidence in other places. When you do see a sort of an integrated response towards building a bicycle culture, you can see a very rapid transformation. Mm. So this is something that could shift in a couple of years Absolutely. if there is the political will yeah. to make the campus greener, less congested, Absolutely. less polluted, noise and yeah. air. Mm. As, as we say, this is not rocket science. Um, I think there's huge body of knowledge now that exists mm. on how you could undertake this mm. uh, transformation. I mean, I'm just thinking about this. I know this is not a campus, but uh, the city of Seville is well known in the literature, like within five years mm. to have doubled its mm. bicycle motor share. And, and, and this was through very rapid, quick uh, solutions mm. that really transformed uh, the space. A place that I looked at in my PhD thesis, um, China. The bicycle seems to be coming back to her dependency. But within a very short period of time, I think you were in China a few mm, years, a few years ago. Mm. One of my PhD supervisors in, is in Beijing, and he's amazed what's happened within one year. Uh, there's been an explosion of bicycle sharing in Beijing, mm. um, but these are sort of not your ordinary bicycle sharing systems as we know them. Uh, these are there seems to be a very neat integration between smartphones. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the bikes, so you can pick them up and drop them anywhere. Literally, wow. you don't have to drop them at particular okay. locations. Um, so there seems to be a very interesting phenomenon there. That's and it, and as I said, this is really just within been within one year. Wow, it's been like this. Mm. No bicycling supervisors just amazed. He says mm. I have to go back and look at it. So there was a time when bicycles were a very popular mode of transport. In South yes, Africa. yes, it's been my amazing discovery. It's part of my research for let's say for about thirty years. 30 to 35 years. So basically from the late 19th century up to 1935, 1936, the bicycle was outnumbered car. And this is based on licensing data that was maintained by the city council. So you can look at it and you see. But from 1936, then you see this transformation. So there was a very interesting period in the history of Johannesburg in which the city council itself was providing allowances to staff members in the same way as they do now to go and purchase a bike. Um, what an excellent idea. University managers take notes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, another thing they would do is they would build bicycle parking at cemeteries and zoos mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, very interesting uh, reports and then council minutes about how they're going to build I think it's now called Zoo Lake. It's quite unusual to look back on South Africa's history and find something positive. So thank you for that. (laughs) Normally we look back and despair um, at what, you know, our society used to look like. But it's nice to know that there is a history of bicycle usage in Johannesburg. So perhaps we can get back there. Starting with the universities. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, the universities often could be the sites of innovation. Should be, Could, I think. Should be, yeah. Mm. And we've seen in other places, these are some of the... Even in countries where, as we say, may have had this long history of car dependency, uh, universities have been 
almost sheltered uh, from mm-hmm. this. It's not impossible to imagine that university managers in South Africa could do the same as they're already doing in Cape Town in Stellenbosch. Uh, Stellenbosch has a very interesting has a very interesting basket sharing system that seems to be very well used. Mm-hmm. Um, so on registration, students have access to this system. It's working. It's doing well. Uh, if you visit there, you'll see many students using them. Brilliant. It's it's, it's quite phenomenal. There's a new university that's been built. I'm going to forget the name. Is it Sol Plaiki? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Apparently the Vice Chancellor of Soil Plaiki, mm-hmm. I say it, and seems to have really, it's really forward looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's part of the development of the university. I need to go and visit to do mm-hmm. a study. It seems to have made a very serious investment toward making the, the campus bicycle friendly. Brilliant. Um, so it's not only about allocation of infrastructure, but it's also about how the planning of mm. the spatial planning of mm. the university that will make it easier to bike around. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up that I haven't thought to ask you about yet? <laughs> <laughs> you could talk forever. I mean, the only thing I wanted to mention is, you know, part of what I was trying to do in my thesis is, is to think about what are the what are the factors that influence people to mm. use different modes of transportation. Mm. And traditionally, I think in popular narratives... There's, we could say there's a dominance of rational instrumentalist approaches and understanding. Uh, so, for instance, in Joburg, people will often say, resort to arguments about the spatial form. We'll talk about the topography. We'll say about, refer to costs and a whole range of sort of this kind of rational barriers. Mm-hmm. But I think part of what I was wanting to do was also to look at the sociological, cultural barriers to cycling. Mm-hmm. Which are important and I think are surmountable if there is kind of leadership. I think this is an area that does need leadership because there are always going to be people like us who jump on our bikes just yeah. because we know it's a better option for our lives. Um, but others may need to be taken there or yeah. to, to see for themselves and to be for those choices to be facilitated and encouraged. Absolutely. I think you don't have a sort of a demographic that is very fixed in mm. its ways yet. Mm. Probably more amenable to sort of new ideas mm. and responsive um, to alternative ways mm. of things. We know that, especially in the undergraduate years, so there's sort of times in which people are exploring mm. and sort of mm. rediscovering themselves. Mm. So it really could be an excellent time to introduce uh, a new culture, mm. a new culture of transportation, mm. a new culture of, of mobility. And sort of going back to the social side, it's also a population that I think is very aware of what their peers are doing. Mm. They've been very many studies in the cycling literature that show how important social influence is mm. in, in how people could travel. And so part of the challenge, I think, in Johannesburg and South Africa in general is there's a significant, I'm trying to think of a way of putting this, sort of the social influence mm. uh, is so heavily geared towards car that that's what people think about. Mm. But you could break that within, mm. as I said, within a young, responsive dynamic. Mm. Uh, population. And there's another study actually that looked at London and looked at the effect, study looked mm. at the influence or the impact of bicycle sharing and changing the image of cycling. Very similar results. Mm. Um, it was not a very, um, I think they looked at, the study was, uh, they looked at one year, but mm. they found very similar results. Changing the, yeah, the conversation about bicycles. So this maybe this is one thing that university managers could yeah. do. Think about as I said, introducing a bicycle sharing scheme. It doesn't present an opportunity for social differentiation. Yes, yes. Uh, so we're saying we live in a context in which mm. people want to differentiate themselves. If everyone is using then it could help to break those sort of barriers. Yeah, yeah let's leave it at that. been a great discussion. Thank you.
Okay, I'm Khanya. I'm a student at VETS. And uh, for people living like at, K- at PKV or at SLN, trying to use bicycles from there, you know, imagine uh, you on campus until late and then you have to cycle from there to uh, to SLN, for example. There's crime along the way. There's so many things to consider. So based on that, I think it won't work. And on the issue of parking, I think people that drive already are people that are off campus. So it means then that, you know, they use cars because they are far away from from campus. Uh, if they then have to use a bicycle from wherever they come from, whether it's Eden Vale or Sentin or whatever, I think it will be too far for them. And if it's just to come for classes, it might not work, I think. The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University. ASAU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at Wits. For more information, visit www.asau.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org Research, scheduling, editing and production was done by me, Simba Rashe Wondem. Jager Merkel created our jingles.